friend, you're so blessed to be a mother. You have an amazing gift in your family. Yet, you may feel like you have lost yourself. You feel alone, unfulfilled, busy catering to the demands and needs of your family, having no time to invest in yourself or to lean in to being the person you hunger to become. It's time to accept our reality, stop the mom guilt and thrive in our everyday present. Mom, I'm here to remind you that you matter. You are a masterpiece. Your feelings, desires, unspoken needs and all of you has a purpose. The story of a life that you are creating and living right now is irreplaceable. I'm here to walk with you and to cheer you on. It's my privilege to welcome you here to have a conversation about how we as moms can learn, grow, be nurtured, improve our mindsets and apply the practical and life-changing strategies to make our life a little less hectic and a lot happier. I want to empower mothers to create a new standard, a standard of feeling beautiful, living well, showing up as their best self and setting up a good example for our kids who will learn far more from what we do than what we say. In these podcasts, I will be chatting with other moms who will be sharing about their motherhood journey, how they are making themselves whole, pursuing their dreams while thriving as a mom. This is a safe place without any judgments, shaming and discrimination. Everyone is welcome here. We are on this journey together, girlfriend. I want to encourage you to let's rediscover our true self, reclaim our time, our energy and care for ourselves to be the woman we want to be and most of all, thrive. So let's rise up and show up as a better version of ourselves. I am Jennifer James, your wellness coach on the Holy Mom Chat. Before we get into the interview with my special guest today, I wanted to take a moment to let you know about my coaching services. My mission here at Holy Mom is to empower women to find and nurture their true self through the transformation of mind, body, and spirit. You can hit the reset button of your life. You can take charge. You can break free out of the I don't have time for myself cycle and be what you are called to be. With my coaching clients, I focus on their individual needs to understand their specific situation. Then together we create a personalized plan to help you meet your goals. These sessions can take place in person or virtually. So shoot me an email at info at holymom.com. That's W-H-O-L-Y-M-O-M.com. And let's book your first discovery call today. Now here's the interview with my special guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Holy Mom Chat podcast. Today on the show, I have the privilege of having Morgan Adams with me. Morgan is a two-time breast cancer survivor. She advocates for a lifestyle of disease prevention and integrating holistic strategies for cancer treatment. Morgan Adams is a holistic sleep coach for women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently. Her goal is to help women feel better and live better. And the key to both begins with a good night's sleep. Morgan is an accredited health coach with additional advanced certifications in sleep science. She's a sought after podcast guest and ex- expert for websites like Mind Body Green. Morgan lives in Richmond, Virginia with her husband and dog, Ollie, a shaggy 15 pound mess of love. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to hear your journey because this is the first time I'm going to be hearing about it in detail. So I thought that we'll start off with you introducing yourself and then we'll get on moving with your breast cancer journey. Yeah, well, you kind of summarized it very very well, but I am a holistic sleep coach, two-time breast cancer survivor, and I really consider myself a warrior for women's health, especially a warrior for women's health as they are in midlife because I am in that phase of my life right now and there's 
there's honestly just not as much support for women in this phase of life uh, health wise as there ought to be. So I am really very focused on, you know, helping all women, but in particular, those women who are in those mid middle years of, you know, perimenopause and menopause, it's not always an easy road. So that is what I'm committed to as far as helping people with health. I love that you used a word that you're a warrior. I love that. I think that it's different because usually people say survivor or an advocate. But when I think about the warrior, it's like, you know, I think about resilience. I think about just this fierce and the ferocity of the spirit that's there to actually fight, but to fight in a good way. Yeah. And- keep it going. So I love that analogy. Thank you. So share with us, uh, how did uh, your whole cancer journey begin? Well, my cancer journey began um, really in summer of 2018. Now, a lot of women that you've probably talked to or who, who your audience has heard share their breast cancer stories, those usually seem to begin with a woman finding a lump, either herself or from a mammogram. And neither of those situations fits my case. I have a somewhat unusual uh, story about how it was found and I'll, I'll share it. So flashback to summer of 2018, August, my husband and I were in Jamaica on vacation and we, it was actually the first year anniversary of my mother's passing. And my husband is a medium and that's not his profession. He's just got a gift. And I said to my husband, can you see if you can tap in and see if mom has any messages for us? Because he was able to communicate with her previously. And he, you know, delivered some messages and the last message he delivered was your mom is asking that you get your left breast examined and i said that is so strange i don't i don't even understand what that's about i had a mammogram 3 months ago everything checked out okay and he said look i'm just the bearer of the message you know you do with this me- message what you want to so fast forward to coming back from the vacation i decided to go and get another mammogram and the way insurance works. They didn't want to provide one because I just had one. Anyway, I ended up pushing to get one and they didn't find anything there. And I said, keep looking, keep looking. So I just kept pushing, you know, for the next steps, the MRI ultrasound. And finally, after about two months of, you know, tests that took a few weeks in between, they found a small lump and I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma stage one. Um, That was November of 2018. So several months passed between, you know, the message about me needing my breast examined and this diagnosis. And I was, as most women are, when they find out they have breast cancer, uh, devastated. And so I was just in a lot of shock um, to be expected, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. And because my, my mother and my father had both passed from cancer, I saw them suffer tremendously through their treatments, mainly chemo. And so in my mind, I thought that the you know conventional treatments were going to be devastating to my body. And I was just very averse to moving forward with that type of treatment. So I um, ended up just through talking to different people, finding a place in Cancun, Mexico, called Hope for Cancer. And they are an an integrative cancer center and they do sort of non-traditional treatments. And some of the treatments are done that they do are done in other countries, but they're just not really considered normal, you know, standard of care in the States. And so I went there for three weeks and my husband was kind enough to accompany me. And I got treatments there like 
every day, but Sunday for like five or six hours a day. And they were treatments like vitamin C infusions and sauna and sound and light therapy. And after three weeks, you know, I came home and they put me on a home protocol with a lot of supplements and some of the practices that I've been doing at the clinic. And I went back to the clinic three months after I'd been doing that home protocol, thinking that this lump would be gone because it was a small lump to begin with. And I was just very confident that I had not gotten it, you know, got, it would be gone. And unfortunately the lump was still there. I was very, very upset about that, but my blood work looked good and I felt great, which was, you know, a plus. So I decided to just observe the tumor back at home and I would, you know, get an ultrasound every few months. It wasn't budging. (laughs) And so I decided to get a lumpectomy at the end of 2019. And that went very smoothly and I recovered quickly, but they discovered that there was a DCIS tumor right up against, excuse me, a DCIS growth right next to the original tumor. And so my surgeon wanted to go back in for a second surgery. I thought about that. I wasn't sure. I finally agreed to get that surgery two months later. So that was successful. So that took me into December, 2019, where I was declared cancer-free. And I thought that I would never have to deal with cancer again. And the, the reason I felt like I wouldn't have to deal with it again is because I had done so much work internally, externally, with better health practices that I thought, okay, but there's no, the the terrain is not ripe for any kind of cancer to develop again. Well, (laughs) huge plot twist. Fast forward to last summer, I was going to get my breast implants removed. I had had breast implants for 18 years. And I decided it was time for them to come out because breast implants are really not made to um, be in your body for that long. And I decided to not have any type of other implant put back in, just remain natural. The prerequisite to that surgery was to have a mammogram. And when I first heard about that, I thought, okay, I'll have to get a waiver. I don't want a mammogram. The reason I didn't want the mammogram is because I really had very little faith in them because it missed that first tumor. But there was a voice inside of my head that said, just go ahead, move forward with the mammogram just to make sure. So I go to the mammogram and they find DCIS in the other breast that was originally diagnosed. And it was very, very clear on this mammogram that it was present. So mammograms do work. They're not perfect, but I felt much more you know, confident recommending them after that. So here is the decision of what to do with this particular diagnosis. I pretty quickly decided to have a double mastectomy only because the fact that the second cancer came up less than three years after the first one. I just didn't want to live every three years going, which breast is it going to end up in, you know, a little game of whack-a-mole. So decided on the mammogram, excuse me, the mastectomy. And I decided after thinking very, very hard about it to go ahead and remain flat and without any reconstruction. You know, I didn't like the idea of having no chest at all, but the idea of putting implants back into my body sort of was against the original plan. It just didn't make logical sense. Mm-hmm. I, ex- I explored fat transfer and there was not enough fat to do the transfer. So I just resigned myself to staying flat 
And I'm honestly really, really happy that I did that because I had the mastectomy this past November. So six months ago, and I recovered very, very well. And I am now cancer free. So it's been a journey, but it has been one that I have really grown through and learned a ton from. So I'll stop there and let you ask some questions. (laughs) Yes. And there are so many questions that I'm trying to wait to (laughs) ask you. So just going back to the beginning, how was that like for you that, you know, because everybody usually goes for, if not a yearly mammogram after 40, you know, a couple of years if there's nothing found. So how did you go down that path of doing the test that you did after nothing was found in the mammogram? So basically, I just, you know, my the message that my husband got from my mother was so strong that I just felt like there had to be something there. So essentially, you know, I, I just said, I really, I feel like you need to keep, you know, doing more tests because I have dense breast and I think all women who have dense breast should know that you know you're not as you're not as likely to catch a tumor so you need quite often you need to have an ultrasound to accompany the mammogram so you know just the way the medical system is set up they they don't easily allow you to just tell them what tests to do so I had to push a little bit but I'm really glad I did because if I had just gotten that mammogram and obviously nothing showed up on it and who knows what where I would be right now because honestly it would have been almost a full year before I would get a second one right. so like we don't we don't like we don't really know what would have happened in that almost year of the tumor being there it could have done nothing it could have spread but I'm just really glad that I listened to the inner voice saying keep asking for more mm-hmm. <laughs> keep asking for more tests yes the reason I asked you that is because I feel like you know 99% of the women just go with the flow of going with their annual mammogram, especially after 40. And then if something is fishy, then you're asked to do a bilateral, which is mainly for women with dense breasts. And then after that, there's no option either for ultrasound if the bilateral is clear, right? So I think most of the times we have to be the advocate for our own health because nobody really takes the time to figure out. And I think that we need to follow our gut and actually keep on pursing if we feel that something is wrong. Because like you said, that all your blood works were clear. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a huge message that I took away and that I try to share with women who are going through any kind of issue where they think they might have cancer. I get messages from people all the time asking my opinions on mammograms and breast cancer. And I just, my message is just go with your gut. You know, what's best keep asking. Yes. So you got the mammogram, then you got the ultrasound, and both of them did not discover anything. It was the MRI that finally discovered the tumor. Exactly. They finally saw a little something in the MRI that they did a biopsy. And quite honestly, the, the radiologist, you know, at the center was like, I'm shocked. Like I didn't, she didn't suspect based on how I presented that there could be anything going on. So hopefully they learned something from it too you know, as far as like, listen to the woman asking for more test and don't deny her that. And I think that's amazing that we women are that uh, potential, right, to follow our yes. and keep on yes. pushing. But most of the women don't because we trust the medical system to actually stand up for us and find the discoveries. But that's what I've discovered in my journey too, that we have to be the advocate for ourselves, our children and our families. 100%. So I'm thinking that there would have been so much emotions involved when you got the first diagnosis. Oh, yeah. I was very upset. Lots of cuss words were coming out of my mouth in the car after um, I got the diagnosis. And really having two parents that who passed from cancer, you know, getting a getting a cancer diagnosis wasn't 
a total shock. I, I kind of like thought that might be in the cards for me, but I didn't think it would be in the cards until I was a lot older. I was 48 at the time of diagnosis. So, I mean, I think it's, I mean, when you hear women talk about their cancer diagnosis, most are quite shocked. And I was, I was pretty shocked, pretty angry. And I went through lots and lots of emotions. It was an emotional roller coaster until I was able to figure out what treatment plan felt best for me because the conventional just, I couldn't sit with that. I couldn't actually make an appointment for a surgery until, you know, I felt like I had explored all my options. Mm -hmm. So it was almost a bit paralyzing too. It was. I can only imagine. So what were the steps that you took in um, your recovery and your journey emotionally as well as physically? Well, you know, I think I'm a lot more of a physical uh, based person than emotional, to be honest. And so a lot of the things that I did were like a lot of health interventions. So I did a lot of juicing, a lot of sauna, I did coffee enemas, uh, like lots of, you know, like lots of supplements. So I was mainly more physical based. I think that in retrospect, I really wish I had honed in on some of the more emotional aspects of this diagnosis and ex explored that, but I didn't. <laughs> I felt, I feel like I did handle it pretty well though, overall, as far as like, I think so much of my ability to go through it with a certain amount of strength, I guess would be the word it really comes from just the support of my husband. You know, he was just so helpful and so supportive and just, you know, whatever I needed, he was there to help me with. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, I mean, I think that the power of that support is invaluable when you're going through um, something like a, a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I appreciate you being vulnerable and saying the truth that you really did not deal with the emotions that we you were going through at that time. But I can only imagine at the time it gets so overwhelming. And especially based on the type of person you are, if you're like a go getter, you know, like you said, achiever, and you know, a warrior, you just want to get on with it and do the work that's needed to overcome it, right? But I hope that uh, you are at a better place emotionally now than you were two years ago. Absolutely. I think I think I have definitely done more emotional work. And I continue on that journey. Like I'm still learning about other ways of healing emotionally through energetic medicine. And I am, you know, doing a lot more meditating and breath work. So yeah, it's, it's a journey, you know, I'm, it's, I'm gradually getting to the a better spot, but I think I'm doing pretty well now, but there's always room for improvement. <laughs> yes. For all of us. <laughs> yes. It definitely is a journey. Yes. So share with us, how did this um, diagnosis and then, you know, the healing journey impact you as a person? Well, I think, you know, we kind of touched on this earlier. It just, it made me very, very focused on the importance of advocating for myself and trusting my gut. Really. I mean, I think, I do not think you can go wrong with that with trusting your gut. I think it also really helped me understand who my friends were because honestly, I had some friends just ghost me like after I got diagnosed and I was shocked. Yet on the other hand, I had acquaintances who, who came to my, you know, to my house to visit, to call and text and see how I was doing. It was just a really interesting thing. And I've heard from other breast cancer survivors that they've had similar experiences with people who were close to them, just sort of ghosting, which is kind of scary. Another impact this had on me was it really, it changed sort of my career path. And I got very, very involved with 
clean products because I wanted to really clean up the toxins in my world. And it actually got me into sort of a, a path of clean beauty. I joined a company called Beauty Counter and started really making that my mission because I needed some kind of purpose through all this. And I wanted to be able to show women that there were cleaner products that didn't have hormone disrupting chemicals in them. So that was kind of interesting because I wouldn't have ever gone in that direction had I not had some kind of cancer diagnosis. That's amazing. And then let's talk about the, the recent mastectomy that you had to have, or you chose to have rather. And I read your um, posts and your stories and I felt so inspired, but at the same time touched too, because it's a serious thing, you know, for women to deal with. And it's a tough choice to make. And it's a lifetime choice too. So share with us a little bit about um, that process. How did that uh, go for you? Well, you know, it was kind of a hard, a hard decision to make because obviously having chosen to get breast implants 18 years ago, having a chest was obviously important to me. <laughs> part of my, you know, not, not full identity, but as you know, part of the whole package kind of thing. And yeah. And, you know, I just felt like, Ooh, it's gonna, it's gonna kind of be a drag to like literally have no chest at all. You know, I wasn't super happy about that, but I really came to a sense of peace about it. And I will say that, you know, once they removed the bandages, I burst out into tears because I was like, it's gone. And even today, you know, I have kind of like a fa- like phantom. It's almost like I still feel like I have a chest mm-hmm. and, or like I reached and I'm like, oh, there's nothing. <laughs> it's just a strange kind of like phantom limb sensation. Yeah. But um, it's becoming a lot easier over time to adapt to a new shape. I've had to retire some clothes that no longer look right. And I've had to readjust my wardrobe. So, you know, I'm figuring it out. It's a journey. And, and um, but I think overall, I would not have done it any other way because at the end of the day, I feel like I made the best decision for my health and, you know, have pretty much eliminated, you know, the chance of a recurrence by, you know, having both of them removed. So I feel pretty confident about it right now. I I appreciate you saying that. And I also see like, there's so much emotions involved in there too, still, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still somewhat emotional, but it's, it's becoming, you know, more of a part of my sense of being, you know, as time goes on. So the last few years have been very challenging for you and you've had to make uh, some big decisions that are going to impact you for the rest of your life. But I see that through it all, you were able to find the motivation to pursue your purpose and your passion. So speak to us a little bit, what motivated you to become a sleep coach? Yeah, that is a great question. Well, it kind of got kicked off during the pandemic because right when the pandemic happened, I started having problems sleeping. And that worried me a lot because I had previously about 10 years before that had chronic insomnia and I did not want it to return. So I started being extremely proactive about staying on top of my sleep hygiene. I got an aura ring to start tracking my sleep, started doing all these experiments. And I started just organically sharing them on social media because I knew that other people were struggling with their sleep. Feedback that I got from folks after sharing my tips was like, oh my gosh, like I really needed this because my sleep is bad. And I guess it was probably late 
yeah, it was late 2020 that I had a revelation about wanting to be a sleep coach. Now I shared earlier about being an advocate for clean beauty with beauty counter and it's a great company. I still love the products. I'm still involved. However, I have to say that it wasn't really fulfilling that very deep desire for me to help women with their health. I felt like there was more I could do on a health level for women. And yet I didn't know what it was. I just knew that there was something more for me in helping women with their health. And this whole sleep coaching thing was sort of just like an aha moment. I mean, I, I remember my husband and I both talk about this. Sometimes we were on a walk in our neighborhood and he, and he still says to me, I'll never forget exactly where we were standing when you told me you wanted to be a sleep coach. And it was just like, he knew, and I knew that was the aha moment. And so I had to figure out how to do that. I mean, you don't just like open up your business a day after you decide you wanted to be a sleep coach. So, you know, I went through all the the trainings and certifications and, you know, learning about sleep science and how to coach and I do feel like this is my calling. I, I have enjoyed my year of doing this immensely. And I think that, you know, the, the reward for me seeing, you know, my clients report back that they're actually sleeping better. It's just, there's just nothing like it. I love it. So did your uh, chronic insomnia start around the same time when you received the diagnosis the first time? No, my chronic insomnia started out 15 years ago. Wow. And I was having a, I was having a personal crisis. I won't go into, but it was just the insomnia was kicked off at that personal crisis. And the way I dealt with it, with the insomnia was I took Ambien and I became dependent on Ambien for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of my process with sleep coaching is, you know, I'm a holistic sleep coach. And so what I'm trying to do is, you know, help women who either are taking some kind of medication or, or over the counter, I'm trying to help them, or I'm trying to help women who are thinking about taking that step, want to explore a more natural way to help their sleep. Because I personally found that taking that sleeping pill every night really, really impacted my day. As far as like, I was super foggy, just groggy up until lunch. I had episodes where I would eat late at night and didn't remember. I mean, I'm just grateful I didn't get behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, You're essentially knocked unconscious. You're not sleeping. You're not really sleeping and going through this, the appropriate stages of sleep to have that brain and body repair. And the REM cycles are not regulated. Exactly. All the cycles, they're not really, you're not really going through those true cycles. You're really um, shortchanging that repair that happens overnight. So it alters your body's natural rhythm and mechanism to actually sleep and the growth hormones and all the other hormones that go along with it. It it disrupts those actually. hundred percent. Yes. So that's amazing to hear. That's how you got your aha moment. And isn't it amazing to know that, you know, at the root of all the wellness and the health is a good night's sleep. Um, When I started seeing a functional medicine doctor, I remember this chart that he had at his clinic and it was like a tree. And, you know, it talked about gut health, brain health, and then all the symptoms that stem from that. But the root 
is sleep. So, you know, as you have worked on your own health journey and, you know, worked on your diagnosis, isn't it amazing you're coming back to a full circle and, you know, you are trying to help people recover from the base root cause issues for a lot of other things that stem from it. Yeah, I, you said that so well. And, you know, I, I feel like the way society is now, we give so much attention to diet and exercise, and we should, those are really important. But the third pillar of health that I think gets dismissed as I'll get to it when I'm when I have time is the sleep part. Without that proper sleep, you're not making great food choices, you may not have the energy to get in your exercise. And it's a free intervention. Like yeah. it's free for us. And there's a really great quote from Dr. Matthew Walker, who wrote how, why we sleep. And he says, sleep is the Swiss army knife of health. Mm. I mean, it, cause it affects everything. So I just yeah. think that's such a brilliant quote. Mm-hmm. It's such a great book, by the way. And I, I would like to include that in the resources too, for the people to refer to. And that's the wellness model that I like to integrate with my coaching. And even in the podcast realm is that we need to address our health as a mind, body and spirit approach, because we are not just a physical being, you know, we're an integrative being. So to become healthy and to get on moving with our wellness journey, we need to address all areas of our being and sleep being the very core of it. Because if we don't have a good night's sleep, the next day, we cannot pray better, we cannot meditate better. We, we don't feel like eating or sometimes we eat excessively, right? Our emotions are not regulated properly. Hence, our relationships are impacted. So it impacts all different realms, but we need to be in tune with ourselves, right? Some people don't take the time to really connect with themselves and listen to their bodies or even observe like, how am I sleeping? I think that's a, a big question that usually hits people in their middle life. If the doctor asks them, are you, how are you sleeping? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I've come to find out that a lot of doctors don't ask that question. Doctors only get two hours of sleep science training in medical school, which is Mm -hmm. shocking, considering the fact that we spend a third of our lives sleeping. Mm -hmm. I hope that I hope that changes. I really do. Because I think that if doctors were able to give better sleep advice, or make that part of the treatment protocol, things would really turnaround for a lot of people. Even the evaluation process, because I had not learned about sleep apnea until my oldest one had some issues. And then, you know, I learned about adult sleep apnea and the doctor that I see, he's a dual, he's an MD and a functional medicine doctor too. So, you know, we started talking about issues and then, you know, he started asking me, how is my sleep? And then he's like, okay, maybe we should evaluate you for sleep apnea, which I think that um, I would recommend everybody who's getting a yearly physical exam, they'd need to be evaluated with sleep apnea because most people suffer with some form of sleep apnea. Yeah, I agree. And I I was actually just diagnosed with mild sleep apnea myself, which was shocking because I I don't, I don't fit the profile of, you know, somebody who you you think of an overweight man, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I agree with you. I really, and that's one of the messages I'm going to be trying to share more of is consider sleep apnea, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as something that you may have because so much of it gets left undiagnosed because people Mm -hmm. don't even think they have it. A lot of people, including me are not symptomatic. We don't wake, we don't wake up tired. We're not aware that we're gasping or, and I don't even snore. So like, you don't actually have to snore to have sleep apnea. So there's a lot of, I'm glad you brought that up. It's an important point. Yes, because I think it's an important uh, tool to learn about and get evaluated. Definitely. And it's amazing that I found I found that out through my son. But then, you know, 
I found out that it impacts other areas of our being too. So that's when my journey of learning about adult sleep apnea started too. So I'm like, okay, this is so important, you know, and just integrating that into coaching as well. When we are dealing with clients, it's important to find out. And it's hard for new moms. I want to address that too, because, you know, sometimes it's not a possibility, but I think that we can start taking small steps towards that. Like, you know, um, because I have three kids, 10, five and three. So it's better to sleep now, but with younger ones who are nursing very so often during the night or something or even the drinking milk during the night you do have to wake up and your sleep cycles are disturbed so for them any words of wisdom for those moms well you know that's a really that's a really hard issue to tackle but my best advice would be to see if you can enlist support from family and friends so that you can carve out some time to like take a nap you know, and, you know, try to nap when they nap. I know I I don't have kids, so I can't really speak from experience, but, you know, if they're not sleeping a lot, if the child isn't sleeping a lot, and that leads you to a place where your sleep opportunity is very minimal, then, you know, trying to call in help from a family or friend to see if they can, you know, watch the baby, you know, take care of the baby while you like actually plan a really nice nap for yourself. Yes. I think it's so important for mamas to take naps because I I used to underestimate the statement that uh, I used to hear is like sleep when the baby sleeps, but when you throw in multiple kids into the picture, that's a bit hard because you do have the older ones and take care of the older ones or drive them around to one place or the other. But I still believe that you can still carve out time to rest and increase sleep in your day because I've been there. So I know that, uh, you know, it is possible if you just get in tune with yourself and figure out if you need to sleep more, right? Because I think that's the first step to figuring out how we are sleeping. Yeah. So as we wrap up, Morgan, I like to ask this question from every guest of mine. What are the three pieces of wisdom that you would like to share with my listeners? I would say, number one, make your health your priority. It should be. I have seen in my work that a lot of women will prioritize their kids' health over their own. I've even had women say to me, I missed my mammogram because my son had a game or my son had to do whatever. And so they miss critical appointments for themselves. But the issue is, is like, if you're not healthy yourself as a parent, like how can you really properly care for your kids and your and the people and your life who you love? So making your health your priority. Uh, the second one is we kind of touched on earlier is being your own health advocate. You have to listen to what you think you need and keep pressing for those tests. And then I think last is it's never too late to start a new career. Um, you're never too old. I mean, I I was 51 when I started the sleep coaching practice, and I never ever thought that I would start anything new in midlife, but I feel like I'm really just beginning. Like I, when I hear the word retirement, I'm like, why would I want to retire from doing something like this? (laughs) So yeah, it's never too late to start a new hobby or career or a relationship. I will thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your story, being vulnerable and transparent. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on to share it. 
Thank you so much for joining me in this episode today. I would so appreciate if you can share this podcast with other moms or moms-to-be. And if you have not already, please subscribe to my podcast on iTunes and leave a review. It would be fun if you can take a screenshot when you're listening to my podcast and tag me at Holy Mom. That's W-H-O-L-Y-M-O-M. So my lovelies, I would like to encourage you, let's rise up and show up as a better version of ourselves. Because let's face it, nobody is better at being you than you. So let's do this. This is Jennifer James from the Holy Mom Chat.